welcome to Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. It is December 11th, 2019. You are here with your hosts, Dustin Clark and Lauren Smith. How are you doing, Dustin? I am doing fantastic, Lauren. How's the weather where you're at? <laughs> it's <laughs> such a jerk. It is a cool uh, 40-something degrees outside, uh, slightly, I don't know, I, I, I honestly suck at the weather. So um, it's cold, and uh, I wish I was not here uh, being cold. That's about <laughs> all I got. So how's the weather where you are, Dustin? <laughs> it is perfect. Um Oh, good, so, good. For everyone listening, we live two hours away, so literally the weather where I am is the exact same as where he is. So, um, yeah, thank, thanks for that. For Lauren, so, thanks, thank you for the, the weather for, The reason for Lauren's low mouth. You're fine. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, fine. What? All right, so. No. We were in South Arkansas with our group over the weekend, and uh, we started joking with Lauren about uh, on every episode, she lets everybody know how the weather's doing. So we started calling her uh, the weatherman Lauren. So (laughs) that's why uh, she kind of broke up there at the beginning. Yeah, I'm just going to start giving a weather report. Thanks. (laughs) I'm just going to start saying uh, it's just looking squatchy outside. How about that? So, Dustin, do you have anything to share? Anything amazing that happened in your life recently? or? Um, yeah, actually. Besides um, going, I mean, going to Falk? Because that was pretty awesome. Yes, we uh, spent the weekend in Falk this past weekend. And I... I'm gonna. I don't want to take too much away from our guests tonight, so I'm gonna do a uh, Facebook Live probably on Friday about what right. I saw. But I yep. finally had an encounter, and I finally got eyes on a Bigfoot Saturday night, and I am still in shock. And uh, on Friday, I plan on doing a live video on my Bigfoot group and in night callers. And I've even drawn up a, a horribly drawn picture of what I've seen, mm-hmm. and uh, I plan on describing it and telling everybody about it. And I'm excited, but yet nervous at the same time because it's just I'm still in shock from it. So mm-hmm. anything with you? That's awesome. I'm excited for you to do your live and tell us all the details. Um, I'm really happy for you that you had a sighting and, and we did have a great time in Falk and that just made the whole weekend even better. So, um, so we are going to do that live or Dustin's going to do that live and he'll give you more details. So check out our Facebook page. Um, and we will post the live video on there of Dustin's sighting and also just, um, some about the outing and, um, so our guests tonight, uh, we have Cisco Murdoch and Steve Stockton. So we're going to go a little bit um, off of our normal uh, dialogue tonight and bring you guys some really interesting stuff. 
So I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit about Cisco and then a little bit about Steve, and then we'll bring them on. So Cisco Murdoch has always been multifaceted in her approach to life. A bartender, floral designer, wire sculptor, jewelry designer, craftologist, business owner, soldier, empath, sensitive, and producer slash host of Journey Through the Gate Paranormal Portal podcast. Um, none of this taking precedence over being a mom of two sons. These paths has led her through into multiple experiences with the paranormal, supernatural, and the uncanny. She resides near the Jersey Shore with her dear family, several fur babies, and at least one ghost. Um, also, you can check our links and go uh, check out Cisco's uh, merchandise. And then we have Steve Stockton. So Steve is a veteran outdoorsman, author, and has been investigating the unexplained for over 35 years. He's originally from the mountains of East Tennessee. Steve has traveled all over the country and many parts of the world and now makes his home in Portland, Oregon, near the wilds and Bigfoot country of the Pacific Northwest. Steve cites his influences are his gypsy witch grandmother who told him multitudes of legends and stories as a small child as well as authors such as Frank Edwards, John Keel, Charles Fort, Lauren Coleman, Ivan Sanderson, Colin Wilson, and Nick Redfern. His published books include Strange Things in the Woods and More Strange Things in the Woods, a collection of true paranormal encounters, as well as an autobiographical My Strange World, where he talks about his own experiences dating back to childhood. Steve is currently at work on a book of ghost stories and also a book about myths and legends of the Great Smoky Mountains, both expected to be available by early 2020. Um, I will have his links up on our Facebook as well. All right. So, Steve and Cisco, how are you guys doing tonight? Terrific. And that's the show, folks. Have a nice night. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing great. Yeah, with an introduction like that, I wish we had a better show for you. There you go. go. (laughs) Now you guys got to bring it. All right. (laughs) Well, I'd like to add to that, if I may, that Steve and I actually did a book together. And that is We Are All Children in the Wilderness of the Afterlife, a guided tour through a haunted life. And that is available both in Kindle and paperback. We are extremely proud of it, aren't we, Steve? Oh yeah, that, it's really Cisco's book. I just I forced her into writing a book, and she said I'll do it, but you're coming along with me. So I kind of came along <laughs> behind her, did the color commentary, if you will, on her stories. But she did all the heavy lifting. <laughs> right. Well, um, you know, just, Cisco's book. When you get together to write everything. a book like that, I'm sorry. Go ahead, honey. I'm sorry. Go I didn't ahead. hear you. I was just oh, I was just going to let you let everyone know. Um, <laughs> Uh, of true experiences, we really, really wanted to put down for the listeners that are listening to your show, for people that are out there just, you know, in wonderment of what's going on in all these different multifaceted sections of paranormal and supernatural. And between Steve and I, we've had a lot of different experiences, you know, firsthand. And to not put those down mm-hmm. and offer them up as not so much evidence, but as, you know, a collaboration with others who've had, you know, had things happen to them. That's basically why we write what we write, you know, and tell the stories. Right. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. Dustin. 
I am... Want to jump us off there, bud? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, Cisco, would you like to start off with your... You said it. you, you didn't see its feet, so you can't say it was a Bigfoot. Right. So <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> well, well, see, the thing is, is um, uh, just to, as a little prequel to that, I'm Native American. I'm Cherokee and mm-hmm. Lenape. And my matriarchal lineage all taught me a little bit from my great-grandmother to my grandmother to my mom, um, all taught me a little bit about um, their beliefs and what they carried over. And, you know, where I am in the north, I don't know how it – when I lived in the south, it was a little bit different um, on how people – were outspoken about the traditions and their beliefs and things like that. Here in the North, it seems that they really still were keeping it a secret, keeping it very much on the down low, if you know what I mean. It was dangerous. In their times, it was dangerous to admit you're a Native American. If you think of it, not very long ago, people were forced out of their, you know, uh, off their land. And, you know, just that wasn't very long ago. You know, people like to think mm-hmm. it was so, so far away. But just, I mean, my grandmother was born in 1890. So her mother, you know, one of the ones I'm talking about, they always spoke very hush-hush, even when you were just talking about herbal cures or traditions or anything like that. So when things in the woods or things in nature were brought up, it, it was always spoken with a reverence. If you know what I mean, it was never even a bird. You know, watch the bird, watch, watch the spider build the um, build their web, and how he the tenacity, um, how things in nature get along. So when things like uh, we didn't call them Bigfoot, we you know uh, they all had different names for them. Sasquatch is one, um, multiple different, but they were all talking about the same type of creature, and. We always thought it was more spiritual, if you know what I mean, like had a more of a connection mm-hmm. to, um, we believed it It has more of a, let's say almost interdimensional kind of feel to it. You know, they could come and go. Um, if not come and go, at least be able to go off and hide and come out, you know, wherever that hiding may be. You know, you can get real deep and say, you know, into another dimension or through a portal. Why not? Mm. You know, we don't know that. You know what I mean? It's like I mm. don't know enough to say I don't, you know, that I know. All I know is what I feel. And as an empath, you can feel things in the woods. You can feel don't go there. You can feel um, a euphoria at the same time, like just a, an openness and a, and a welcoming at the same time. So if both those things are true, I honestly believe that things in nature have, they know things that we may not know, even if we think we know everything. So going into this, um, I was living in Alabama, and it was northern Alabama. Yeah, And I'll tell you, when I was driving, I was literally driving parallel with the Tennessee line. Okay, so that's how far north I was uh, in Alabama. And I'm riding with my son, and uh, I'm driving, and he was about 9 or 10. 
and we were going home. And I lived in very rural, uh, like Tony Harvest, Alabama. And it was all farms and cornfields where we were driving. And if anybody's ever driven in a farm country <laughs> where the corn is high and it's late at night, it's a different kind of driving experience because you're driving to the point of you're worried that something, a deer, a person, something's going to dart out from the corn. And you have to, you know, you have to be very aware and you certainly can't see much. Um, the roads right. are very uh, narrow. And uh, all you really have is the moon in your headlights. So we're driving along, and I get this feeling. I'm, ex- I'm extremely sensitive, and like I said, I'm an empath. And I'm getting kind of a foreboding feeling. I don't know how to quite describe it. It was more sadness. It was like an extreme sadness was coming over me. And usually I'll get that if I go to a battlefield or if I go to something like that. I'm used to that, but I wasn't used to it on this road. I drove it every day. And I just started to slow down because I really felt like something was coming. Something was going to jump in front of my car, like I said, like a deer or something along those lines. And sometimes you have kids, you know, running through the corn and, you know, doing stuff they shouldn't be doing or just having fun. And all of a sudden, they realize they ran out of corn and they stumble into the road. I mean, I've seen that happen. Cow, horse, anything. So I'm slowing down. And as I slow down, it's getting closer and it's getting stronger. And I look at my son uh, because he, at this time, started to um, show signs of being able to pick up these things, too. And I wanted to see if he was picking up anything. And he kind of just looked at me, and we didn't say anything. And that's when it happened. I drive by, and on the passenger side, closer to my son, there seemed to be like almost an opening in the corn. And not so much that the corn was not there. It was something was standing there. And as we drove by, I could see very, very furry, I'd say probably no more than four or five feet tall, um, were passing what looked like a young Bigfoot. His face was brownish gray. His hair was more gray than brown. Skin very leathery. (laughs) All the actual features that you would imagine, you know, almost almost like a big Christian type nose. But the most standout feature, other than its very, very sad eyes, to me I was getting nothing but sadness, um, not really fear, but sadness and loss from this creature. And it had a huge lip. Its bottom lip was almost pouting. So like you'd stick out your bottom lip like you're pouting, you know, to overemphasize. Mm. That's what his end of his side was all very gray, like a lighter gray. And this is what I caught as my car goes by. Now, I literally locked eyes with this thing. If I had been by myself, I can honestly say I'm about at 9% that I would have stopped to try to help it. I was so overwhelmed. It was almost like coming across a wounded animal, the feeling that you get. There was Mm -hmm. no fear. I had no fear. The only any kind of 
fear or scared I had was because my son was in between he and he, you know what I mean? He was closer to it, yeah. and that mom kicked in, and I had to get my son out of there because if if it was, he did want to attack or hurt or anything like that, it would have gotten him first, you know. And our windows were rolled down. I mean, it was, you know, it it, it was it was such an odd situation, and that's when I just sped up and I just like get him out of there, you know, get my my son out of there. Yeah. We pass it, and he just turns and looks at me and he goes, tell me you saw that. And I said, yeah, honey, I saw it. And we didn't say anything. It's like you just, there's like this dead silence. Or you just talk about it. There wasn't anything like, get a picture. Do, 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 do. At, at the time, you know, we had like flip phones anyway. We it, You just didn't think about it like you do now. But neither one of us wanted to turn back. And neither one of us talked about it till we got home. And he got the same feeling from it that I did. Now, is that a Bigfoot sighting? I don't know. But I got to tell you, I felt so sorry for this creature. And I really did want hmm. to help it. And I feel bad I didn't go back and try to help it. But that's just me. You know, I feed birds and animals out my back door all the time. I live by the woods, you know. So hmm. I didn't get any kind of fear from it. The only thing looking back now that I would think about was if it was lost and a parent was out there, and that would have been a bad situation to be in, you know, as far as the oh, yeah. it's parents protecting it, you know. But uh, yeah. that's what I saw. That's awesome. <laughs> I, that I, is awesome. I, 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 I'm pretty positive if I had, you know, my kid in the car, I probably wouldn't stop either. Debating on which kid right. it was and, and how good they how good they were being. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I wasn't ready mm-hmm. for anything like that either. You know what I mean? It's just, I mean, I wasn't wasn't going out looking for it. I wasn't prepared ahead of time. You know, you go to a different mindset and a different uh, preparedness when you're going in to look for something, or just even in nature, say fishing. You know, you're sitting around, right. and that's when you become aware of your surroundings. You're, you know, you're a little more chill. I'm, I'm trying to stay dry. And to see that and to see its eyes and just have this overwhelming, I cannot stress, I can't find the words to describe the um, the longing and the loneliness. And the, I don't know if it was lost. It didn't make any kind of gestures towards me other than just look at me like it was just huh, standing there, arms down, hung down its side, long arms and uh, hmm. big old belly. I mean, it was just, I mean, I just felt so bad for it. But maybe, again, like I said, maybe that's just me because I feel bad for them anyway. I hope we don't ever catch one and poke and prod it and put it in a cage. That's just nuts. That just goes against everything I believe. That's just me, you know. Um, yeah. I'd rather be the kind that, you know, sits down and tries to communicate or, you know, offer help or maybe insight, you know. Have you guys ever heard of any of the telepathic um, signals that people are getting from the big? Have you guys ever heard that on your show where people are actually getting a telepathy from them, or is that just something? I'm yeah, hearing? we we've had a few people come on and talk about mind speak. Um, 
they uh-huh. it's varied you know it ranges from um brief brief conversation or a word or so to you know um full-on conversations mm-hmm. I, I really um, believe that that's very possible yeah. i believe that's also uh, i believe less less Stroud has came out saying i, I could be wrong um, I, I could have swore Les Stroud had came out and said that uh, when he was filming the uh, Survivor Man Bigfoot, uh, at one point in the sh- when he was out in one of these areas, that he kind of it it was like a voice in his head saying, "If you want to uh, meet us, stay here tonight" or something to that effect. And mm-hmm. I think I think he ended up not staying there that night, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But there are a few few people that have uh, come forward about having the mind speak, and uh, I don't know. It's if some people can read other people's minds. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, uh, Steve, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just enthralled with Cisco's story there. I've heard that several times, but I I love it every single time she tells it, mm-hmm. and I can feel that that empathy and that that sympathy there. That just sounds like a interdimensional kid that got lost from its mom or something. And on the the telepathic side, there's a place out here just across the river in Washington State called Hissetti Ranch. Uh, you can find them on YouTube and on the internet, and they often have like. Uh, powwows or whatever you want to call it and they have people there that speak and tell their stories and uh, there's been experiences there on the ranch where people have communicated with UFOs, aliens and even Bigfoot all telepathically and there's there's one guy that gets up there and tells an amazing story about how he communicated several times with uh, what he terms as the Bigfoot people and the, the, the things that they taught him and it's almost like Cisco was talking about, where it's a more of a Native American type thing, some of the, the lessons and, and things that they've told him you know, about conservation and being kind to one another and things like that. It's really amazing when you just take the time to listen, and and that would be somebody they would communicate with, I think, somebody that's not trying to kill them or, or get evidence, but that just wants to sit down and uh, telepathically uh, communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a wonderment, you know. Like yeah. I said, I just want to go down to the record. Just, I, just, <laughs> I just hope they never do find them and catch them. I just think that's just so, I don't know. For something to have existed for so long, obviously, um, and be able to just maintain whatever lifestyle, whatever colony or pack or whatever you want to say and still exist mm-hmm. um, under these conditions deserves all the reverence we can give it. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing to me. I would be happy yeah. if we never caught one and but I was able to find an area where I could go and consistently see them. That would be mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, well, see, that's just it. You might catch more. It's just... There's a there's a little paragraph I wrote in my book. I can't remember what part it is. I believe it's probably in the Gettysburg chapter where 
I, Steve and I have talked about this oftentimes, and I know your listeners usually are talking a lot about um, cryptids and things like that. Um, but I'd like to offer this. Um, I really believe that most of these things are all intertwined one way or another. And what do I mean by that? Um, anything, obviously, that we don't know about, you know, we, we put it in that category. That's not quite what I mean. What I mean is energy-wise. Um, we really are all connected energy-wise one way or another, you know. Hmm. And why not all these things, too? I mean, if you can look out your backyard and you can see a squirrel and you can see a bird, you can see um, – I mean, I can, you know, I can see raccoons, I can see possums, I can see wild turkeys and deer, and I can see all these things coexisting together and really, you know, in a different in different levels, they all play off of one another. You know, they all yeah. do something in nature that keeps the whole ecology going. Well, if you take that to the next step, why not Bigfoot? Why not um, even go as far as to say, Aliens or other universes or, or other dimensions, um, ghosts, if you believe in ghosts, ghosts are certainly a part of us, they're just an energy, a piece of us, you know, um, and all these other things that are around that we're so mystified by and elementals and everything else, it's all been here before us and even we will be here after we're gone. So why not have it all just coexist together, if that makes any sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I would, coexisting would be better for everyone, but the only bad thing is there's always always a bad, bad egg in there. Yeah, you bet. Mm-hmm. You bet. <laughs> and always that one Alrighty. that want to harm rather than coexist. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. why a lot of them get harmed. You know, that's why they're getting mm-hmm. that reaction. And, you know, uh, even paranormal investigation, I know a lot of paranormal investigators, and I know a lot of people that go out by themselves, black groups. I know people that go out in groups with mediums and psychics. And we tended to take a lot of the feeling and the sixth sense or the senses in a way out of uh, ghost hunting, if that's what you want to call it, or paranormal investigation. Years ago, when the uh, reality paranormal uh, TV show started, they just wanted to go to science. Let's prove it through evidence. You know, prove me wrong with science, that kind of thing. And they said, we're not going to go on feelings. We're not going to go on the fact that the hair stand up on the back of the neck or that we feel pressure change. We felt it. We're going by what's on this piece of equipment and what's on this. And that's fine. You know, as far as the equipment and trying to get all of the different things in the tech that you can use to try to prove or show or whatever you want to call it. But when you take Mm -hmm. the heart out, when you take the feeling out, you're cutting off your senses. That's like putting on a blindfold and trying to walk out in traffic, you know, and not have your hearing and not have what you can feel and what you can, you know, and just proving that there's cars there. If you see what I'm saying, I can, you know, I can prove it because I can hear it. I can, you know, I can prove that something came across the tape. I mean, that makes mm-hmm. it, it sounds like I'm making fun of it, and I'm not. I'm just saying we no. were given senses for a reason. We were given six senses. No, and that's... We all have intuition, you know. 
That's fair. And, you know, I feel like you have to have that in the field, Bigfoot researching. Um, We were out this past weekend, and, you know, we go out, and um, me and and Dustin, we were actually climbed a tree, and we're just sitting in the tree talking and waiting on everyone to come back up the trail. And everyone walked by, and then one of our group members stopped and just turned and shined his light right on us. And I said, did Uh you hear us? Did you see us move? And he said, no. He said, I just felt, I felt you guys looking at me. I could feel it. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Have you ever been in the woods? Now, this has happened to Steve, both Steve and I, different times. But have you ever been in the woods, just mind your own business, everything just goes quiet, and the air around you changes, and you can feel almost a sucking of the air around you just comes out like you're in this. Almost, almost a void. I mean, not even a snapping stick or a, you know, a bird, nothing. Mm-hmm. And you just feel that pressure change. You feel everything, and that's when you know you're close to something. What is that? You know, is it? What are you near? You know, I mean, uh, I've listened to Barry Fitzgerald talk many a times, and anybody that knows that name, he was on JHI um, and Ghost Hunters International way back. He's the uh, he's of Irish descent. His heart really lies with Irish lore and things like that. And right now he's doing some amazing things on portals and um, different dimensions, different ley lines and different things and um, elementals. And it's amazing stuff. And, you know, if you talk about that, you talk about Skinwalker Ranch where people have literally stood there and watched a rip and something crawl out of that rip and just walk away like it belonged there. I mean, these things are happening all over the place. So why couldn't a Bigfoot know something we don't know and know where these places are? You know, and come in and out. Why not? You know? I don't know, just questions. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like there's always more questions than answers. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, maybe we're not supposed to have them, you know. Maybe that's no, and that's something we've say. found out through our talks and our research and stuff. That the more you delve into it, the more questions there are. I haven't found any answers yet, but every time it uncovers more and more questions, and I think that's a lot of the the thrill of it is not knowing the answers, but in the the pursuit of those answers that you may never find, and then you come across more questions that are even enlightening, more enlightening. Than what you had before, so that, well, that's okay. me. That's the point of it. I, I wouldn't want answers necessarily. I wouldn't want physical proof of anything that that we're into. That would take a lot of the thrill out of it. I think. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I agree. That was well said. Yeah. Mhm. I agree. I think so we're Steve, all in it for different stuff. If you know what I mean, we're all in it for different reasons, but we all have that same awe about it you know it's wow this is amazing that this is happening whatever it might be whether it's a glass flying across your room or you know an apparition of a loved one a call from somebody you know that's been passed for years you know and just so many different things of some kind of cryptid or animal that we've never seen before I mean things are popping up now I think faster and faster and faster because of Mm -hmm you know, social media, the internet, and things like that. Like you were mentioning um, the rake and um, 
different things. I mean, there's some things out there, I think, that are earthly that scare the heck out of me. And there's stuff here that's ancient that I won't even talk about, you know, because I'm telling you, energy, you connect into that energy. And I had an elder sit around a powwow circle once, and we had a guy sitting there, and he was asking. He was all excited about a lot of things, and you just had to love his enthusiasm. And, you know, and he was so new to everything. And he kept asking, well, tell us about this. Tell us about that. So we don't talk about that. We don't talk about it. The guy was getting real frustrated. He said, but you don't understand. These are our traditions, and those things are not – you don't learn them by speaking. You learn them by doing by watching, by paying attention for years. And there are certain mm-hmm. things out there, and he points at the woods, and he says that we don't speak of because when you do, they hear you. And that's when people like you come to people like me to get it gone. It's like that. Like Nietzsche wrote about that when you peer into the abyss, the abyss also peers into you. You can yep. uh, in, accidentally stir things up. Uh, when I was doing research for my book about a lot of the Cherokee legends for the Smokies and things, I, and I'm part Cherokee, but I encountered just what Cisco talked about there. There's some that they'll discuss and some they don't even want to talk about, don't even want you to mention the name because that can draw it to you and likewise to them if they're talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of hold, feeds back into the whole idea of a topa that the more energy people are putting out there, the more real it becomes, even to the point where it can manifest, uh, mm-hmm. like Slender Man and the Rake and things like that that started out as fiction, but then people started seeing it. And there's an mm-hmm. old story about, uh, I love to tell about Walter Gibson, the guy that wrote the old uh, Shadow stories for old-time radio and the pulp magazines and stuff. He spent so many hours pouring his little heart and soul into these stories that people who would come over to his house for dinner and things would actually see a figure like the shadow, like Lamont Cranston with the overcoat and the slouch hat and the big scarf and everything lurking around in his apartment that he had put so much thought and so much energy into that thought form that it was able to manifest itself. Creepy story, but that it was told for the truth. There you go. There you go. And then you got the Phillips experiment. The Phillips experiment mm-hmm. was a group of um, college students, and they were doing basically an experiment. And they said if mm-hmm. we manifest, we were all write down different characteristics, different his, historical, you know, fiction. If we write down all of this, can we create an energy that will respond like it's a ghost um, through our equipment? And it happened. Now, is that a collective thought from all the people that manifested that energy? Is it an energy that was already there that said, sure, I'll give you what you want. Here you go. Just like the Slender Man. Was that a creation from that person who sat there and drew it and created it or graphic art, whatever they did? Or was it an entity standing behind them putting the thoughts in the head so they would create? It's like the chicken or the egg. Those are the questions right. we just don't know. Because I know personally of I've been in the room when I've seen, you know, been with very good mediums, very good psychics, very good psychic mediums, which are three different things, and had them 
all writing notes that each one didn't see that I didn't see. And we know that there was a ghost or a spirit or entity in this room. And it manifested three different ways to four different people. It, that's hmm. how it did. Now, if something has that kind of knowledge and that kind of um, people, some people would say it's a trickster. Well, we like to give things little names like that, but what does that actually mean? That means that within a room that you're in, you've got an entity that has that kind of power to appear as a, a young child to one person, as an old man to another, and as a black mass, um, a powerful black mass to two others, and all give different information at the same time to those four different people. Now, what does that mean? You see what I mean? That's insane. Mm. And it took a long time for everybody to figure out it's one thing. So it, 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 do you see what I'm saying? How is it doing that? It's, it's appearing. It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. So to try to put things into, you know, we often find, as Steve and I talk about this all the time too, is we try to put things in little file caps, you know, little file things, put it in a file cabinet, and then you go, wait a minute, that one goes over here too. Wait a minute, that one goes here, here, and here. You know, it's like, and and how do you how do you uh, harness something like that? All that we really know, uh, a friend of ours, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to uh, Where Did the Road Go, so I asked Cass, ask he's a fantastic individual. And he once said, well, we've all got these pieces to a puzzle, and we're not even really sure what pieces we have. And we're not sure how many pieces there are to the puzzle. We don't even have the cover to the box, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's so interesting to look at that piece and try to figure out what that is and to converse with each other and get everybody else's idea of what they think it is and where it might go, you know. As long as we're, yeah. as we're willing to move them around a little bit, we might just get a better picture. Hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I have a lot of people say to me, like, look, I like to do uh, ghost uh, spirit rescue. That's my thing. I figure if I've got any ability whatsoever, if I have a will and I'm willing to, I I try to help everything I get my hands on, try to help animals, I'll I'll go without to feed them because they've counted on me. I will do whatever. So why wouldn't I do that for a human being? And a human being who has passed and stuck here as a ghost and needing help, Hans Holzer mm-hmm. once said, I've never been afraid of a ghost. They're just people who need help after all. And I've always followed that. Hans Holzer was one of the first ghost hunters to really start writing everything down to try to make sense out of things. And I've that's always touched my heart. And that's what I try to do. And people will say, well, how do you know you're talking to a ghost? I don't. How do you know that it's not an entity fooling you? I don't. I don't know it. I feel it, and it goes through my filters and hard-earned lessons over 45 years of I'm comfortable right now thinking that that person is Harry, and Harry needs help. 
if it was something else pretending to be Harry, I would feel mm-hmm. it because that kind of evil can't hide from an open heart, from fil- from from filters that you you built up. You see what I mean? You could feel it coming before it gets there. So this must yeah. be Harry. I don't know. What do you think mm-hmm. about that, Steve? Yeah, I agree. I think that that kind of discernment it comes with uh, through trial and error sometimes, and just with age and experience. That sometimes, I mean, I've walked into places and known that there was something evil there without any shadow of a doubt. And then other times, I've had something that you know it felt like it was a residual what was left over of somebody that that needed help or somebody that was stuck here or stuck between planes of existence or, or whatever you want to say, but you you learn to trust your feelings and to trust your gut on things like that, and you can never be too careful. I know Cisco and I, we both carry crystals. We both smudge our homes regularly with sage, uh, sprinkle salt in the corners. Uh, I do that when I'm traveling. I'm staying in a hotel or something. You never know what's gone on in there or what's been in there or waiting on you. So I open up the door, you know, this is my house. I'm going to be here for the next couple of days. Anything that doesn't belong here, get out. And you, yep. you have to, to be ready to do battle with stuff like that or it'll it'll run you over. <laughs> yeah. You uh, hear that, You said salt. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you, said salt the cor- you said salt the corners. Uh, my grandmother used to always, she would salt the, uh, the window panes yep. and uh, every door. Yeah, across the, the, the doorway. Yeah. Yeah, and she might have done the corners, but I never, I've never actually witnessed her do the corners. I witnessed her do the rest of it. But, mm-hmm. but uh, you're gonna do that? Lots though? of that. <laughs> there are lots of uh, people like to say old wives' tales or old myths. I guarantee mm. you that most myths have a seed of truth in them and I suggest that people look into it because look if different cultures are doing the same type of thing across continents before there was ever communication or before Vikings ever hit a ship or Chinese ever built one and they're doing that and it takes us all this time to figure out hey they're doing this in Africa with this and we're doing it over here at the same time how did we all start doing these things at the same time without communication across the seas? Well, there must be some kind of truth to that. And you find that in herbal things. You find that in uh, rituals and traditions like salt um, and multiple things, uh, different herbs. I once had a, um, and I had, like I said, I, I'm going to say this, but I have nothing against any religion or belief of any kind. I'm wide open. You know, if, it, if that's what you like, then go with it if you found happiness in it absolutely but um and i've got a lot of wisdom from being that way you know i've gotten it from you know priests from nuns from uh protestant you know uh ministers from um chinese uh from buddhists and buddhists and all kind of wiccan and yeah the buddhists and the taoists and the hindus And even the Muslims, the Wiccans, the pagans, so you can learn something from anybody. That, so much from everybody. Based on what they believe in. And you know what? Uh, a lot of the cor- the chorus seems to be the same. But I once had a a, a, a Catholic um, 
uh, a father, a priest, uh, he said to me, you know, be careful with those herbs. You know, you don't want to just go around and put your belief or put this in. I said, well, you're misunderstanding me here. There's, it's not a belief in there. The herb's going to do what's going to do. You know, my my knowledge of what that herb will do and my gratefulness to that herb for, you know, and my creator for giving it and for it giving itself up to help me do this is where we sit. I said, what are your thoughts? He said, well, we don't believe in anything like that. I said, really? I said, what's all that smoke in the ball y'all are flying around in the, <laughs> you know, in the aisles and stuff? I mean, isn't that, let's, let's, see, let's name them all off and he'll, you know. And he kind of looked at me and goes, okay, I understand what you're saying. I said, just because yours is in a, a you know, a, a brass holder, you know, incense burner with a chain, and it's done, you know, in a ritualistic manner, how does that differ from what I'm doing? See? And we started to have a yeah. conversation on it. So, you know, look into the salt. Look into Palo Alto wood and, you know, different uh, incenses and stuff. Look, if if evil spirits don't like it, it's a friend of mine. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, willing, I'm going for it, you know. Why not? Why not? And it's your belief in things, too, you know. If you don't believe in something, um, we were talking, I was in, uh, I was talking to Heidi Hollis, and she we were talking about shadow people. And, I mean, shadow people have gotten a lot of different, there's a lot of different types, but the kind I'm talking about aren't from here, never were human. And um, hmm. it's all about breaking down, just like any evil entity, it's about breaking down your soul, breaking down your defenses, your your human instincts, uh, bringing on fear, um, breaking you down little little by little by little. And we were talking about that, and um, she had said something about, you know, well, she had a little prayer, and she said, well, I'm not really sure what, when I was a kid, this is her talking about, you know, I wasn't really sure about the, you know, if it was the right prayer or whatever she said, but she said it was such conviction and it worked. And I said, basically, well, it, it what did it? Your faith in what you were saying, your belief in what you were saying. It's uh, If you don't believe in what you're saying, you can recite the best prayer or the best whatever ever written. If you have no belief in it, you might as well just throw a slipper at it. It's about you and what you're portraying. I believe Stephen King had a thing, I think it was in It, where the kid believed that his power was in his uh, atomizer that he used for asthma, and he squirted it at the at the evil being, and it, and it sent it back because he believed in it. He believed that mm-hmm. that had power, you know, so maybe it's all just in the belief. Who knows? Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> you believe. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you hold up a cross and you don't have any faith in that cross, whatever you're holding that cross up to is going to know you don't. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? If it can read you like that, and that's what most of the evil entities do. They know what your fears are. They know where your convictions are. Um, even... Um, a human ghost who was a jerk in life and took that anger with them, and that's why they're stuck, and they, they just live on that vibration and on that frequency. If the first thing it's going to hone in on is your fears, it's going to feed on that, 
it's going to gain strength from that fear. So, of course, it's going to continue to do the same thing that makes you scared because that's food to them. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what we need to tell people is to not be jerks in real life because you're going to be stuck that way forever. <laughs> Can we say the word? Like when your mom used to tell you word? if you make a face or cross your eyes, it's going to stick that way. So it's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't get an attitude because yeah. it'll stick that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, well, it's true. You know, it's, 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 you know, we call them earthly burdens, you know. We all have them. We all have our hangups. We all have our our glitches and the things that were that are our weaknesses. I get angry really quick. I've got that Cherokee <laughs> stuff going on my red. <laughs> but but you you think about it, um I personally believe that this is like school. You know, it's like a school thing. We come around, we try to do our best to try to go out on the highest vibration, the highest highest frequency that we can muster. Because if you go out on a low frequency, I personally believe you're going to end up in a low frequency and have to work your way up from there. And if we can do it here, we maybe it'll be an easier shot over. Because the people that I help and the people that Steve has helped, and both of us have helped together in some cases, that seems to be what holds a lot of people is those earthly things that, fear, regret, uh, anger, jealousy, you know what I mean? That seems to Mm. hold a lot of people back. Some is just confusion and, you know, and mindset when they go out. You know, it might have been something very confusing and just they don't quite understand what's going on and that can cause it. But in the willful state, that seems to be the reason. So if you don't want to be, how not to be a ghost? One oh one. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All righty. Uh, Steve, you want to jump into one of your stories? Sure. Is there anyone in particular you'd like to hear about, or? Um. We can start off with the water sprite. Okay, that that's an interesting one there. Um, and I've, I've got a video about it on my YouTube channel, 13 Past Midnight. You'll check that out where I, I narrated the whole thing in intricate detail. But basically, um, when I was a kid, about eight years old, I was playing near a ditch line that uh, up in the woods above their house. We lived out in the country at about 26 acres. So I, I spent a lot of time in the woods when I was at home. And uh, I was playing near this ditch line one day. And I kind of walked up and looked down into the ditch, found out later on that that was the old dirt road that had gone through the area, dating back to the Revolutionary War. Well, as I turned to walk away from the edge of the ditch and see what else I could get into in the woods, I hear something coming up out of the ditch, and it sounds big. So I turn around, and just as I look at where I was standing a few minutes ago, I'm about maybe a dozen feet away now, something comes up out of the top of the ditch. And it's making a beeline for me. And the thing is, I can't see it, but I can see the effect it's having. I mean, there's tree limbs moving out of the way. There's leaves kicking up like it's running at me. And I did what any eight-year-old kid would do. I took off screaming down the hill as hard as I could go and didn't look back to see if it was chasing me. I'd made such a racket that my mom heard me from inside the house and was out on the back porch 
waiting to see what had happened to me. And I, I passed her by. I went right past her and in the house. You, know, you, you can have her. I'm in here. I'm hiding under the bed. And um, she finally coaxed me out from under the bed, and I explained what had happened and that I saw something that I, that I couldn't see, but that was chasing me. And uh, later when my dad got home, my brother came over, and uh, he was a lot older than I. He was 17 years older than I am, a late-in-life, unplanned baby. And uh, they went up there and looked, and they could see there was broken branches and tracks in the leaves there where something had obviously ran through there. And they were naming off things, you know, was it a dog? Was it a bear? Was it a cow? Was it a horse? I grew up on or near farms. I knew all these things. I grew up in the East Tennessee Hills. I knew what a bear looked like. But whatever it was, I couldn't see it. I could just see the effects that it was making. So finally, you know, they're just like, well, we don't know what it was. And uh, for a long time, I, I stayed away from that area. He had one neighbor kid, and when I say neighbor, he lived several miles away. That was the closest neighbor we had at the time. He would come over occasionally. So I would put him up to go up and look in the ditch, and I'd stay down the hill and hide behind a tree and see if anything came out after him. Never did, even <laughs> though he didn't know that I was using him as bait. And then uh, <laughs> fast forward seven years later, we were getting ready to move from there. We'd, we'd sold the farm, and we were going to move uh on up the road a little bit there in East Tennessee, the Carnes neighborhood. And I was just kind of out walking around the woods, knowing that, uh, you know, getting ready to move from there, would never see the place again under the same circumstances and just kind of taking a, a last walk around on the acreage there and ended up up there by the ditch again. And I stood just like I had seven years earlier, looked down into the ditch and thought, I wonder what that was, you know, that, that scared me so bad when I was a kid. I'm just, hmm, you know, probably never know. Turned, started to walk away, got about the, the same distance, and there's that familiar sound of something running coming up out of the ditch. I turned around. Sure enough, tree branches are getting knocked out of the way. Leaves are kicking up, and it's more like I could feel it, you know, hitting the ground. It was like a thud, thud, thud running toward me. I didn't scream and cry this time, but I did take off down the hill at a fast clip. I still wasn't anxious to see what it wasn't since I couldn't see anything at all or what it would do if it got close to me. And uh, sure enough, got back down to where the house was and stood there panting out of breath, looking up in the woods, whatever it was. It didn't, didn't follow me all the way to the house again. And probably about two or three weeks later, we moved away from there, and uh, I haven't been back since. But flash forward uh, another oh five years or so after that would have put me in my early 20s. Um, I was working in Knoxville at a place over in Cedar Bluff. And there was a guy that I just knew from work. And uh, one night uh, work was over and we were clocking out. And he was like, hey, you want to go to a party with me? Just, you know, a few friends sitting around watching TV and whatever. And I'm sure I didn't have anything planned. So I ended up going to this party where I didn't know anybody, but the guy was with, didn't really know him just apart from work. We'd never uh, hung out socially or anything together previously. And so sitting there and uh, some of the girls that were at the party had dug a Ouija board out from under the couch. And then I was like, let's try this out. Let's come on. Let's, let's ask some questions. So they're sitting there. There's three or four of them working the board and they're going around the room asking people questions and getting this, that, and the other answers, and they, they finally got to me, and uh, I thought, I've, I've got a humdinger for you, and the only thing I said was, what scared me as a kid? 
Now, I'd never met or seen any of these people. I'd never told that story to anybody, and certainly not the guy that I worked with. But sure enough, the board starts moving around, and it spells out W-A-T-E-R-S-P-R-I-T-E, Water Sprite. So they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, maybe the board's thirsty, you know. Ha-ha, it wants a drink. It wants some water. It wants a Sprite. So I just, you know, they moved on. And the next day, now this was in the days before the internet, I went to the library in Oak Ridge where I was living at the time, went up to the reference library and said, what can you tell me about a water sprite? And um, she dug around for a little while and finally came over the table where I was at and, and brought a couple books. And I can't for the life of me remember right now which it was, but there's two uh, fey beings, elemental type creatures. One is a naiad and one is a dryad. One is uh, a spirit of the woods and the other is a spirit of the water. And I can't remember right now which one it was, but either one would be particularly fitting because that area where that happened, there was also seven natural springs that flowed into one that went another 300 yards or so into the lake. We lived close to the lake there that had occurred when the TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority, dammed up the Clinch River and made Melton Hill Lake back before I was born. And that's... That's according to the Ouija board. It was some sort of elemental, some sort of uh, fae or fairy folk, some sort of guardian of the woods or the waters there. And I don't know if there was something there that I wasn't supposed to be around and it was scaring me away from it because there was a legend in that area of a hidden treasure. Though some guys had robbed the uh, either a stagecoach or a train there back either right before or right after the Civil War and it hid some gold. In that area, we had a guy show up from California one time that knew the legend and wanted to look for it with a Spanish dipping needle or Spanish dip needle, a type of dowsing device. And um, he was out in the edge of the road about 200 feet or so from the house. And this was up in the woods, probably another quarter of a mile or so beyond that. But that was the direction his needle pulled. And he went up there and looked around. We didn't see anything. But there was a lot of boulders. There were a lot of old trees and stuff. I mean, something could have been hid in plain sight, and it wouldn't have been obvious. So that's that's my story of the water sprite. And uh, whatever it was, I couldn't see it, but it seemed to be fairly large size of the, the branches that it was hitting and the amount of leaves. It was kicking them up and high enough, to as high as my head almost. So to this day, no idea what that was. Like I said, I've never been back down there. Don't know what's there, but it was still there seven years later from the first time it scared me. And I, I, I don't know what my reaction would be to have something, run, seeing something running at me but not seeing the actual thing. Yeah, that was more scary. Uh, I mean, if it had been a creature or something, that I could have quantified that out, you know. It's like, yeah, it's big. It's coming after me. I'm out of here. But to not see what it was, that was even more frightening because normally I don't get scared that easy. In fact, my first full-body apparition that I ever saw was about two years prior to that first sighting and out in the road in front of the house. And that didn't scare me at all. I just thought, you know, huh, well, what's that? That's not supposed to happen. Didn't didn't scare me in the least. But this not seeing something scared me. So that, that's kind of unusual, I think. Oh, Mm. All right. Um, now I forgot which one of you had the experience with the next two. Um, 
but let's jump into the snot hag. That'd be Cisco. <laughs> Man, that woman, if that's what it was. Um, well, this one happened to me. Uh, my mother and I lived uh, alone together. She was a single mom at the time. And we were living on the shore, not far from where I am now, uh, in Jersey. And we lived in this little summer bungalow. We were in between two places, and we thought she, I guess she thought this would be a great place to be. Now, this summer bungalow, if you're not used to what that is, they're usually very small. Um, They were meant to, um, usually for people who worked in the big hotels and stuff in the early times of the boardwalk back in, you know, the early 1900s and stuff, that's where they would live, the further away from shore. And they had an awful lot of windows because that's how everything cooled. So there's windows all around this tiny little bungalow. It was just a one-bedroom little house. And on the back end were woods. And um, this one day, I, I remember I was watching cartoons or something on a Saturday morning, whatever, and I hear all this bustle and hustle going on and screaming coming from the kitchen. And from my upbringing, that was not usual. If you you read my book, you read the stories, you see that I lived in a haunted farmhouse. And, you know, Mm. I I was kind of used to that, kind of, but it was a different pitch level. I went running, uh, and it was my mom in the kitchen. And she's got a broom in her hand, and she's knocking stuff over. She's screaming, and she's yelling all these things at me at once. Don't let it bite you. Get up on the chair. Go outside. She's just, as a mom, just yelling all these things at once, and I'm trying to do all of them. And I don't know what she's doing. Well, it turned out a possum got in the house, I guess, from under the sink. She must have opened the cabinet to get something, and it ran out at her, hissing. And if you ever saw a possum with the long teeth and everything, they'll chase you. And it's, you know, crazy. <laughs> so it was it was a big, you know, hubbub in the kitchen. Now, we chased this thing around the house quite a while she's trying to get it out i'm trying to open doors so it'll run outside and it decided to run off into the back bedroom and my mom went in there and i'm holding the front door open hoping she'll get it out the front well she comes out of there with after everything got quiet she comes out and she's got a white pillowcase in her hand and it's a blood stain growing on the outside of the pillowcase and i know and she's upset she didn't want to kill this thing but she did, you know, she was scared. And both of us love animals. It was really, I, I know farmers and people that have to do this all the time, they're going to think it's silly, but we were just broke up about it. We did not want to hurt this thing. So I tried to comfort my mom, and she's saying, I didn't want to do it. You know, I just, I was scared it was going to bite you. And I said, let's go bury it in the backyard. You know, let's just get this taken care of. Here, me, eight years old, taking over. So we did. We dug a grave for it. We buried it right in the edge of the wood line as you go in right at our back door. And we buried it together. And when it was all done, I felt like I should do more. Now, like I said, I was eight. And I picked up a couple sticks and took a, a ribbon out of my hair. I always had pigtails at the time. And made a little cross for it. And I just felt so sad. And like I said, as an empath, I was still coming into all that stuff. Felt bad for my mom, too. And I said, I'm going to do a couple things. I'm going to sing a song or something. And she said, 
okay, do what you want to do. I'm going to go in the kitchen. I could see my mom go into the kitchen. I could see her through the screen door. She wasn't that far away. And I sat there, and I sang this little, like, um, Sunday school song I knew about animals. And it was about God and creation and all this stuff. And I don't even remember the whole song now. But I mentioned that because I think that that might have had something to do with what happened next. And I'm doing that, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting on the ground, and I just feel like I'm being watched. And I look around, and my grandmother always taught me, listen. So I'm listening. Do I hear anything? Like, it was fall. The leaves were on the ground. And I didn't hear anything crunching in the leaves. So I kind of continued my song, and I looked back down, and it got worse. Whatever it was, it was just this inherent evil I could just feel it. I mean, all the things, like your skin, you know, you get the goosebumps, your hair stands up. You can almost see the hairs popping up on your on your arm, the back of my neck. And I just knew, but I didn't know where it was coming from. And I finally, I looked up, and I could see through the trees. It was like some thin trees. And I look up, and I see this woman. And she's standing, I'm going to say maybe 25 yards away from it. And she's got long, scraggly, really messed up hair. I mean, long, but it's sticking out in places. She's got leaves stuck in it. And, you know, um, she's got long uh, skirts, but it looked like more than one skirt. It was just multi-layered. And everything was very dull colored, like dull browns and grays and blacks. And those shawls, and I remember there was leaves stuck in that too. And I thought that maybe... She fell down because that was the first thing that went through my head. She fell down. That's why she's got leaves all over. And I tried to look away from her and go back to what I was doing because I just thought I just caught her at a bad time. That's what I was feeling at the time. But I looked down. It just, the feeling got worse. And I looked back up again. And now she's half the distance closer. I mean, in Mm. that split second of time. She's closer now, and I mean half the distance. And I remember thinking, I didn't hear walking. I didn't hear the leaves crunch. I didn't hear it, and that scared me more. And I tried to get up, and I couldn't move. And now I'm looking right at her, and now she's behind a tree, kind of halfway behind a tree and looking around. And I could see her hands were like, her arms were splayed out to her side, and she was making a fist with her hands and then opening her hands real quick, like she was throwing something, but nothing was in her hands. And then she'd make a fist, and she, you know, and she's looking right at me. She was so gaunt. It was like a skin pulled over a skeleton's face. Mm. And at, that was the time. That I realized, because the way she was stuck out from that tree, she had this long stream of green snot hanging out of her nose. And when I say long stream, I mean this thing was hanging down to her waist, and it was swinging uh. when she moved. And I remember thinking to my head, now as gross as that is, I'm thinking as a kid, that's not right. You know, that was, to me, that was the thing that wasn't right. That was, it wasn't that normal for that to be happening. 
And I remember thinking that, and she just, when I thought it, she just smiled and kind of just did her hands like back kind of thing. She didn't say anything. She just the motion. And it broke me. And somehow my, my legs just started churning, and I took off running. I run into the house. And I run in the screen door, and I slam the inside door, and I just, oh, God, I'm safe, you know? And I got my back against the door. You know how little kids slide down the door and wind up on their butt sitting against the door? That's what I did. And I'm just, my mom's leaning against the sink, drinking a glass of wine, I guess, after killing the poor possum. And she's like, why are you running? Why are you slamming the door like that? What's going on? And she's just rattling mom stuff off again. And I'm like, there's a woman at it. Oh my God! There's a woman, and she got stuck, and she's like a little witch, and she was she's trying to kill, she's gonna kill, and I'm rattling my stuff off, right? And she's just lally, you know, lazing through the kitchen, you know, no panic in her whatsoever. She goes, I don't see any woman out there. Oh, you're just upset. She's doing this kind of thing, and she looks above me out the door, and I realize there's glass in this door. I'm not safe, so I take off running again. I go through the kitchen, I go down the hall, I land in the living room, and I jump on the couch and I cover myself with pillows because that's going to protect you from everything, right? I was still an eight-year-old kid. And she's following me. She's, you just, you know, you're just upset. She says, I don't see anybody out there and everything. She's looking through all these stinking windows. The whole house is glass. And I'm thinking, I'm in here, but I'm not protected. You know, she's going to get in and kill us all. And she's looking through the, you know, the little sheer curtains. And she's looking out toward the wood line out in the woods and stuff. She goes, you know, I don't see anything. Whoever you saw must be gone. And I'm calming down a little bit as she's talking to me. And I figure, okay, she doesn't see her. The lady's gone. So I jump off the couch and I jump into the chair next to my mom. And I go to look out the window. And I'm like, okay, well, she's gone. We're okay. She, we're not going to die today or whatever kids think. And as I'm looking out the window, my mom's looking out. There she is, standing right next to the tree, looking right at me and smiling again, not still swinging. And I'm uh. like, Mom, you don't <laughs> see her? She's right there by that tree. She's just, oh, honey, you're just seeing things. There's nothing there. That's the moment I realized I could see things other people could see, and I locked myself in the bathroom for the rest of the day. Now, mm. we moved. We were in the process of moving. We already had boxes and stuff, you know, packed up at the house. We're only going to be there for a little while. I never went out that back door again. I never went out in the woods through that area to play again. And we were gone probably two weeks later. And I never saw her again. And I don't know where she went that day. I, like I said, I literally stayed in that bathroom. It took all, all day for my mom to get me out. Now, when we moved, we moved to Virginia. Unfortunately, my mom died. And we a long bout with cancer. And I moved in with my aunt and uncle who lived in the same town. And it was about two years later. And I'm in my aunt and uncle's house. They gave me a room, and it was upstairs on the third floor. And I remember looking out the window going, okay, I'm here now. I'm going to school. I'm going to get through this. It's going to, you know, I'm trying to talk myself into will to live again because I just lost my best friend. And I look out this window, and I look out my aunt's <laughs> backyard, and I look through the woods. And as I'm looking through the, the woods, it was like 
toward the end of winter, so there's like no leaves or anything. I see a bench. I see a little house, and I recognize it. Now, all of a sudden, it hits me. That's the house we used to live in. Was just on the other side of the woods. I had no idea we lived that close to my aunt in that proximity. So right now, I'm back in the woods where the old not hag lives. Can you imagine? <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> I might actually. I know. Yeah, that was that was some eat bad <laughs> evil stuff. That wasn't an old woman. That was something else. You know, mm. I can't explain I'd, it. Out of all that, the snot got me. Yeah, it got me too. Sorry. All I kept but thinking I think was, I just wonder if you were seeing my toddler. I just. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's it. You know, I, I don't know, you know, Steve and I and many other people, we've all talked about it. And, like, to this day, I have no clue. I don't really want to know. But I think mm. it was that thought of that normalcy in my little kid's mind where I'm like, that's not real. That can't be right, you know. She can have leaves in her hair. She could be coming at me across the, you know, without me hearing. I never saw her walk. She must have been floating or whatever manifesting whatever she was doing because she wasn't breaking cracking leaves or breaking sticks or making any natural sounds like that and that wasn't natural you know to me and mm. then when my mom didn't see her and I'm we're looking I'm looking right at her we're looking in the same spot then I knew and that took a long process for me to say okay there's been things that I've seen that other people saw at different times and got validated you know, but now I'm seeing things other people can't see. What does that mean? So I had to deal with all that kind of stuff, you know. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was I never saw her again. I felt her. I lived I lived in that house on the other side of those woods for almost five years and I never saw her again, but I felt her and I never went in those woods. Mm. So I don't know, I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, yeah, when y'all sent me over the list of some of the stuff to go go over, I was like, oh yeah, we're definitely gonna have to go on that one, that that story, and I I I, I can see it in my mind. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the first one I saw, I thought she was just an old lady, and my thing is to try to help, you know. I mean. It, it, but I was just overwhelmed with that evil feeling. And I don't know if if Steve even had a chance to get those feelings from the water sprite or whatever it was that was chasing him. I think you, you just heard the sounds that something was chasing you and you knew to rant, run because something was chasing you. I don't know if you felt anything. Yeah, well, the, the sound got my attention. And then when I saw the the effects of whatever was making the sound, the, the tree branches moving and breaking and the leaves more than anything, the leaves stick in my head. That's the way they were churning up in this thing's wake. Yeah. But it, it wasn't under the leaves because it was affecting branches higher than my head. So, uh, yeah, oh, I didn't wow. stick around. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. See, that's just it. I mean, there's so many things out there, you know, again, that you know, that was – Steve was young, I was young when those things happened, and I don't know if kids get to see or experience things more like that, um, if it's just, 
you know, we're in its spot, and it doesn't like the intrusion. It didn't like the fact that an animal was just killed. It didn't like the song because it had something, you know, maybe that affected it because it was a, a faith song. I don't know. All those things could have affected or brought her out or whatever it was, you know. But um, I don't know. It's trippy, huh? All <laughs> <Yeah>. trippy. <laughs> All right. I'm um, really glad I didn't see her again. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, let's move over to the shapeshifter. In, was that Steve's story? Shapeshifter? Yeah, y'all you have a shapeshifter shape- down. Did you, did you have a shapeshifter, Steve? Uh, you did. Possibly. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. We, we, I think no, we both got one. I'm not sure which one he's referring yeah. to. The one with the um, the face, the uh, the cab, the little uh, shed. Tell that one, and oh, I'll okay. tell mine. Yeah, that was the, the second worst time I've ever been scared. Actually, the third. There's <laughs> one time that I've been scared any or even more than all the other times. But I don't talk too much about that one for that same reason we were talking about. Because any time I have, I told that story on Art Bell's show one time, and had some strange experiences. That was the first time I told it, and I'm kind of reticent to tell that one. But the the thing in the ditch that was well, it and this story probably tie for number two. But um, I I'd, I'd gone home after school with a kid that uh, I knew that he lived out in the country too. His parents were uh, like their privacy and things too. They had a gravel driveway that was about two miles long. Well, we were out messing around. They lived out in the woods, had a big piece of property, too. I think they had more acreage than we did. I think it seemed like they had about 40 acres or so. And uh, we had gone down about halfway down the driveway, so it was about a mile away from the house. And there was a shale pit there. We were messing around in there looking for fossils and picking up rocks and looking at stuff. Well, about the same time that we heard some kind of weird noise, we both looked up, and up on top of the shale pit, there was probably you know, 12 or 15 feet off the ground. There was an old rundown shack up there. I don't know what it had been. The, the whole place had been an even bigger farm at one time until it was subdivided into some smaller farms. So there was remnants of outbuildings, some in good shape and some just completely fallen down. Some had already collapsed. But we looked up, and in the window of this shack, there was something. And um, again, I've got a video about this one on my 13 Past Midnight channel. It mm-hmm. looked a lot like a horse, but not a horse. Um, if you took a horse, stripped most of the skin off, it, off of its head, put the eyeballs in the front, and made them real big, instead on the side of the head like a horse has, and then gave it lots and lots of razor-sharp teeth, a mouthful of them. That was what it was. And it mm-hmm. kind of looked at us with these big bug cartoon eyes, and then it kind of smiled and showed us all these teeth. And it was making some kind of weird, like almost like a humming noise. And we, we both you know, were looking around like, what in the world? And then we look up, and we see it about the same time. And I think he took off first, and I took off after him back up the driveway. And again, it's one of those cases where we were yelling and screaming and just scared out of our minds. And this time, his mom came out of their house to see what the commotion was. She'd heard us coming up the driveway. 
So we went there and we're just scared witless and she's trying to get us to calm down and tell us what's going on. We're describing this creature, some kind of weird thing that's in the shed about halfway down the driveway and it showed its teeth and it hummed at us and, and all this and just we wouldn't shut up. And finally, my friend's dad, who was home at the time, came out and said, you know, what's, what's going on out here? What's all this racket? And, of course, we were talking over each other, and the mom was talking. Oh, they saw something, and we're trying to, it looked like this, and it looked like that. And he's like, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check it out. Goes back in the house, gets a shotgun, stomping off down the driveway. You know, we made him mad. We've interrupted whatever he was doing. So we're sitting there. We're quiet now. We're waiting. We know there's going to be screams and gunshots and no telling what. But uh, within, oh, maybe 15, 20 minutes, seemed like forever, guy comes back up the driveway. He's got his gun over his shoulder, but he had just the strangest look on his face. It's almost like a, a concern or like he was really deep in thought. And he called us over and just admonished us for, for playing down there in the first place. And he said, I want you boys to promise me that I want you to swear you'll never go back down there around that shack, not in the shell pit, not up where the shack is, nowhere around there. Just promise me that you won't, you won't go down there. So no, no, no problem there. We hadn't made plans to go back and never did go. And as far as I know, my friend never went back down there either, although that's been a long time ago. And then a few days later, my friend and I, and we'd drawn pictures of this thing independently of one another, and we're comparing notes, and we had both seen the same thing. It almost looked like it had a hood or something on it, so we couldn't see all of the head to what was poking out of the, the window there. And it said, I'd been around horses and stuff, and I know it wasn't a horse unless it was, as I described, with the skin removed and the eyeballs on the front and a rictus grin there of a million sharp teeth. But uh, my friend, a few days later at school, came over to me and said, you know what? He said, my dad went down there last night, it been a few days, maybe a week, and uh, he pulled the shed down off the hill into the shell pit and burned it completely up. Hmm. And it didn't really occur to me until years later. But his dad was full Cherokee Indian. And I think that we had saw something that he either knew what it was or maybe it was intended for him and we just happened to see it first. But uh, looking back with, with what I know now and the things that I've, I've read and studied about since and some of the, the drawings and eyewitness accounts, I think it was a Wendigo. Now, not all of them have antlers. I mean, they can shapeshift. Sometimes they're depicted with antlers, but not all of them have it. If it had any antlers, we didn't see any, but the way it was poking its head out of this tiny little window might not have and this there was no way to get up to that shed unless you climbed up there and it hadn't been used in years and years so there wasn't any livestock any farm animal anything that could have been in there like that but uh i I think we saw some sort of shapeshifter there and again i don't know the reason and i believe his dad saw something or felt something too when he went back down there just because of the look on his face and just the concern and making his promise to swear several times that we would not go back down there and mess around. So he saw something that disturbed him enough that he did go back and pull a little shack down off there with a tractor and burn it. So whatever it was, uh, again, may never know. I've never been back to that particular place since. And so as far as I know, my friend kept his promise and didn't go around it either. 
But uh, mm. so the beast is Swanson Road or Swanson Lane. That's what I've got it termed on the the YouTube channel. It's it's private road now. It was gravel driveway back then. It's a paved road now. That's it was lane at one time, and I think they've changed it to road. But uh, it's still there. But against private property, and I would definitely respect the wishes of whoever lives there now because they've got it posted no trespassing and. Uh, Anybody that lives that far back out in the woods that their driveway is a couple of mile long probably don't want to be bothered. So, <laughs> even yeah. though it's you can find it on Google Maps, but I would uh, advise against going there. Unannounced. Mm. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's some nightmare fuel right there. Yeah, oh, we we yeah. both had, had bad dreams and things. Like I said, we were obsessed with it almost to a point that we drew were drawing pictures of it in school and the. Teachers, you know, what is, what is this? What kind of, you know, you make it a horror cartoon? What is this? Was, we didn't tell that it was something we'd seen. So, ah, just, you know, something we, we decided to draw. But we had drawn almost exactly the same thing, just a little bit of difference in our art skills there. But it was basically the same type of figure. That's, that's good that you had, you know, someone else there to kind of. Yeah, that was the most real experience that I've had like that where I actually had a witness that corroborated everything. I mean, we even wrote down what we saw and described it in addition to the drawings. And it was, you know, other than, again, sense of style and uh, uh, writing. And uh, it, was, it was very, very similar in, in what we both described. I was a little more precocious, had a lot larger vocabulary, so mine was a little more flowery and eloquent, but it described the same. <laughs> mm. I think his had more swear words in it. Mine didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think mine would be only swear words, but... The scariest one, though, and I'm, 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 maybe I'll come back and tell that some other time, it was an encounter that I had with black-eyed children back in the 90s. And that's the one, every time I've talked about it, something's happened. And it goes back to that, either the, the Native American principle or the Nietzsche, you know, whenever you peer into it, it peers into you. Whenever I talk about it, it, it lets me know. And that's that was just the most frightening thing that I've ever felt, just a totally irrational feel. That there was, I mean, it was absolutely primal fight or flight, mm. and I've never felt. And even talking about it now, my my hands will, I'm, my hands are starting to sweat here. So, but I'll save that for another time. Mm. All right. Did, do you have you uh, covered that on your YouTube? No, I haven't done a video about that one. I've told it twice that I know of. Once was on the old Art Bell show, and uh, after I told it. A couple of hours later, it was before daylight, but I'd, I'd been on there. I think I did three all three hours, and uh, I heard this just awful screaming inside the house. I wasn't asleep, but I was in bed, and uh, my daughter was living with me at the time, and I thought something terrible had happened to her. I go rushing into her room, fling the door open. I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, why? And I'm like, you didn't hear all that screaming? And she's like, No. Because at first it sounded like it was right outside my bedroom window. Then it sounded like it was in the house. And there was a, a knock at the door or something, too. Nobody out there. I had motion sensors and alarms, and there was nobody around anywhere. And I said, so you're okay? And she said, yeah. And she said, that's what you get for talking about those black-eyed kids. <laughs> she goes, She'd sat and listened to me while I was on the show. 
But uh, every time I've talked about it, I'll, I'll probably have something happen tonight. But I've had strange knockings. I've had stuff, pictures fall off the wall. Um, just weird, weird stuff. And again, it just it kind of unnerves me to talk about it, which is weird yeah. for me because I love relating these experiences and talking about stuff that I've had. But that one, it was just so, so far out and so out there that I, I can't even begin to describe the type of fear that was just rolling off of them in waves and that uh, just irrational things like I was driving home 90 miles an hour trying to get away from them because it was happening in a parking lot. And I was like mm-hmm. looking over my shoulder. I was I had a little convertible time Mazda Miata, and I was literally like looking over my shoulder, like expecting them to be right behind the car or hanging on to the car or something, even though I knew that couldn't happen. And mm-hmm. it just irrational, yeah, just just incredible fear. It's a fear like a a mouse or something must feel right before a snake grabs it. You know, you just that impending sense of something bad is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can save we can save that story for some other time if you ever feel like coming back on and relaying it. Yeah, I'd I'd love to come back someday. It seems like the more I tell it, the less severity of the, the consequences. The the first time was mm-hmm. I'd I'd gone years and never talked about it other than just a little bit to my family. But um the the second time I told it it didn't didn't seem to have as much of a, a cosmic reaction as it did the first time I told it, mm-hmm. but a little more prepared now as far as when I do talk about it, if I know I'm going to talk about it, I make sure I'm grounded real well and, and prepared. All right. Yeah, we can, we can definitely have you on again. Um, mm-hmm. Cisco, you said you had a shapeshifter one as well. Yes, I do. Sadly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, this one was incredible in the way, I mean, I had, when I was, again, when I was a kid, but I was more like around 11 at this point in time. My mom and I, this was right before she passed, and we were in uh, Deep Creek, Virginia. And in Deep Creek, Virginia, there's a place called the Dismal Swamp. And I hadn't read up on the Dismal Swamp. I didn't hear, you know, any of the, you know, just the locals talking about, you know, things in there and stuff like that, but never to the extent of, like, we're speaking of tonight, just, you know, rattlesnakes and this and that, you know, and maybe things in the swamp, you know, trying to scare a little kid, but nothing big. The main thing that we were worried about is driving on this one road. It was like a 14-mile stretch with the swamp on both sides, and the road was very, very narrow. To the point of there was this little bridge that one car would have to pull over and let the other car go first, and then you could go. The cars mm. couldn't go on it at once, that kind of, you know. So we're riding along. This is before, you know, we had seatbelts. It wasn't, you know, forced like it is now. And I used to lean up, and my job was to look because if there was, again, anything that jumped in front of the car that came out of the swamp or, you know, a, just animals running across the road or something. My mom didn't want to wind up in the swamp. There was no gutters or rails or anything like that. The road ended, the swamp began. And she just had this fear of having to go off into that swamp. That would be it. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere and didn't have cell phones back then. So we made a game of it. 
And this one day we're driving along, and she's not driving very fast to begin with. And I mean, she was doing 25, 30. It was a lot. And it got very dark because the overhang of the trees, it just, even during the day, it was just kind of dark and dismal. So I'm leaning forward, and we're talking, and all of a sudden, this large black thing just kind of lumbers out of the swamp and stops in front of our car on the road. And we can see it way, way far away. And right away, I'm thinking, is that a bear? And she's, you know, I don't think that's a bear. And we're, now she's creeping up, you know, slower. We're still going, you know, car pace, but, you know, we're slower. Slow, she's slowing down. Well, we had hogs on the farm. And she thought, is it a hog? And I'm thinking, no, it doesn't look like one. The body shape was different. So I could say a pig boar thing, bear kind of shape. But it was just different. The body wasn't right. I don't know how to explain that, but anybody who's ever been out in the country, you know when you see a silhouette of an animal pretty much kind of what it is. And the body shape wasn't right. It went down almost like a rabbit would sit, you know, or something like that. Hogs just don't do that, you know, and bears are Mm -hmm. kind of different. So we're coming up on it and black, for sure black. And as we're coming up on it, I guess she figures, you know, if we try to, as the car is coming, it's going to move. Well, right then she realizes it's not. And she starts, you know, tapping the brakes. And we're going to just stop. And she can't. Like, the car is not stopping. And the thing turns its head and looks at us. And in the seconds it took for that car to make contact with this thing, its face went from... The first thing it was, if I had to describe it, I would say kind of a boar kind of face, not so much a hog, but more of like a boar, but it had horns like a goat, different type of a horn. Its eyes Hmm. were really deep set and very kind of yellowish, and then all of a sudden it changed. It didn't melt. It changed. And then it was some other mixed-up animal-looking thing. And then it, bam, it changed again. And I mean, it's more, it's like morphing. Have you ever seen one of those videos where, you know, it'll be like Michael Jackson and somebody else, and then it'll morph into a lady and it'll morph into a guy? It did that. And it was, it was just hmm. as fast, faster than I could snap my fingers. It's almost you couldn't focus on the face. The body didn't change. The face changed. And I'm, like, hanging wow. on to the – we're in this, like, uh, Mach 2 Mustang. I'm hanging on to the the uh, dashboard there, like, for dear life, going, holy crap, we're going to hit this thing. The car hit where it was, but you didn't feel anything. My mom slams on the brakes what was left of the speed of the car. We stopped. Now, in the back – of those Mustang Mach 2s had louver kind of uh, black across the back window. So it was, it looked great from the outside, but looking out, you could just, it was like looking through Venetian blinds. You couldn't really see a whole picture. She's looking in the rearview mirror. She's looking in the side view mirrors. I'm turned around trying to see where this thing is. I'm looking out the window. Where the hell is this thing, right? 
and we don't see it. And my mom has just gripped a hold of that steering wheel. And when my mom was scared, I'm scared. And I'm pressed up against the side, uh, passenger side car, uh, door now. And I'm just like looking at her going, Mom, what was it? You, did you see that? What, what You know what I'm doing with that? She's not saying anything. She's saying to herself, the water isn't moving. The water isn't moving. And now I can look back and process that and go, well, if the water's not moving, it didn't jump and land in the water because the water wasn't rippling. You could see the water. Mm-hmm. Where is this thing? And I guess at that point in time, she thought maybe it's stuck under the car. So she hits the gas pedal, and she goes fast and stops again and then starts looking. I, don't, I guess she thought she could dislodge it. from. I don't know. And she sat there. Didn't say anything. She's not answering me. And then she did something that scared the living hell out of me. She reached down and grabbed the door handle and opens the door. Oh, my God, she's going to get out. Oh, my God, she's going to get out. I can't even talk. I'm so scared. I can't even speak. And then as if she read my mind, she slammed the door closed and we took off. (laughs) For all she was worse, man, I must say, we we took that road faster than we've ever took it again. And I'm just like gripped down, but I didn't say nothing. We, I'm down. I got my head covered. I'm just like, what the hell was that? What did I see? I mean, I was scared. I mean, that's on. That doesn't make sense. You can't process that in your head. The space just kept changing. She's not saying anything. I hear gravel, and I know we're pulling in our driveway. And she stopped the car, and that's when I kind of look back up at her, and she just looks at me, and she says, "Stay right there." And I'm like, "Yes, ma'am." She gets out of the car, and she's taking her hand. I'm watching her go around the outside of the car, and she's taking her hand. She's running alongside of the, you know, uh, uh, of the car on the outside of the car. She's looking around the bumper. She's looking underneath. She walks past my passenger side. She goes to the front, and she goes down, and she looks underneath the car, and she just runs her hand across the hood, and then she just puts both of her hands on that hood, and she just hung her head and cried. There was mm. no dent. No scratch, no bang, no blood, no hair. We ran right through that thing and it disappeared. And she couldn't process it in her head and it and it and it and it tore her up. And I went out to stand next to her and I said, Mom, are you okay? And she said, We're never talking about this again and I said, Yes, ma'am. And we never did. She mm-hmm. was gone about two months after that. And everybody said that that was like, it could very well be a harbinger of death, black dog, all this other stuff. Well, I'll tell you something. If that son of a gun came to warn me of something bad happening, it was right. So, mm. I don't know what it was. That's... Shape twister. <laughs> That's... <laughs> and so, 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 so it was roughly the sizes of the, like a hog right it was out bigger than a hog. Car, right yeah we had big old hogs on that farm that we were staying on and i guarantee it was bigger than that it was bigger than mm. that it just didn't look its body didn't look like that its face did at first but it was off like steve said it looked like a horse but it wasn't a horse you move the eyes up front i mean mm. it's hard to kind of explain it. it's like somebody took an animal puzzle and put it together wrong Wow. But how does it move the face? 
the, the face changed on that thing faster than I can tell it. I, I can't explain that. You know? And she saw it, too, because I, several times I said, Mom, it's face changed. She says, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Because, again, Native Americans. So was it yeah. something that hurt? She couldn't process and she didn't want to have to explain it because she couldn't? Or did she know what it was and she was telling me don't talk about it because, of, you know, I, I'll never know. But it was nasty. It That's- was nasty. And we ran right through it. And there was no sign of it on the road, no sign of it in the water. The water wasn't moving, and she was right. I mean, if it jumped back in the water, the water would have moved, you know, would have rippled. You know, you throw a rock in the water, boom, you know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It was horrible. That, that I, I don't even know what to say to that one. That's. It was bad, and this is this is the thing. I was I was you know, ten, eleven. I'm not a little kid, but I was a kid, you know. And mm-hmm. you 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 hear things, you know. Don't do that. Bad things can happen. You know. Don't play with a Ouija board. This can happen. You know. You know. Don't say Mary in the mirror three times. Oh, it's fun. You know. But there's some truth to these things. You know, it's like sometimes mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen, and then the bad thing happens, and you wish you didn't do the thing, you know? Did we conjure yeah. it up? Did it, we just in the wrong place, wrong time? You know, same with Steve. You know, there's things out there that you, you, you're intrigued, and you want to kind of see it. You want to know what the legend is about. And then once you do, you wish you didn't. I'll never get that out of my mind. You know, and that was, God, that was, what, 35 years ago? I could see it like it was yesterday. You know, yep. there are things out there that go <laughs> bump in the night. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> not only the, the shock of, you know, the face changing, but at the same time having, you know, basically going right through a large animal and not feeling so much as a bump would right. put you just as, in just as much shock. Right, right, because you you brace yourself for that hit, and it doesn't come, which is why, as a a woman now looking back, as an adult now looking back, very similar to me driving with my son in the car and seeing the little foot, or whatever you want to call him, bless his heart, Um, you know, she's trying to protect me. That's her mother instinct. She's trying to process it. She's trying not to wreck her car. She's trying not to end up in the swamp or swerve, you know. There was no place to go. You had to go through it or go back, you know. And she's trying to process it. And as I remember her sitting there saying, like, the water isn't moving and looking in all the mirrors and trying to think she was going to – I thought maybe she was going to get out of the car and look under the car, see if it was stuck under there. Because it doesn't make sense to hit something like that. And have it be gone. Right. So I don't know. It's multi-level. You know, I hope I never see anything like that again. I've seen other things, but that one was that one was something. And you know, if you think about it, you know, like I said, a lot of times people say black dog. It didn't look anything like a dog. And all the faces it changed into, it never looked like a dog. But 
you know, there's harbingers of omens, you know, uh, things that are going to come, things bad that are going to come, uh, and things like that, you know. Uh, then there's also things in Dismal Swamp. He's got a story about a whole platoon of uh, Civil War soldiers that went in that swamp and disappeared. That's one that I found doing some research. Yeah, they marched in there and uh, nobody knows what happened to them. If they got caught, if they got killed, if something ate them, if they drowned, if they starved. But it's they see their ghosts now. But uh, yeah, whole, whole platoon. I don't know how many is in a platoon. You might be able to answer that since you're a soldier. Cisco, I'm sure it varied during the Civil War, though. Probably just catch as catch can. But yeah, that's. I wouldn't want to be lost in that place. I don't think I'd come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Different well, land uh, has different things, you know. I mean, there's some bad hmm. land, and there's some. Any Native American will tell you that, you know. And you can feel it if you pay attention, you know. And that's the funny thing about a lot of those places. Certain tribes will avoid it altogether. Some tribes will go only in certain areas, and then there's some that just don't care and will go anywhere. It's just a matter, I think, of their tradition and what they've been taught by that particular group or family, if you will. Uh, it's like that in the Superstition Mountains in Arizona. There's certain tribes that won't go anywhere near those mountains. There's other tribes that have certain sacred spots they'll go to, and then yet other tribes that will just wander freely if they choose to. Same with the Smokies. There's places up there that uh, the Cherokee won't go. And you were talking about earlier how it goes quiet in the woods and stuff. I've had that happen up there, and that's just the most eerie feeling. I mean, you can't hear the wind. You can't hear the water, not a bird, not a twig. And it just lasts for a few seconds, but it's it's like being in a vacuum. There's, just, there's something going on. I don't know if there's something nearby or you're close to something you're not supposed to be messing with. And um I've had that happen before, and there's a lot of people missing in the Smokies under mysterious circumstances. I've got a, a series, four-part series on my YouTube channel about that, uh, Into the Mist, about some of the strange disappearances, one from the 60s, one from the 70s, one from the 80s, and then one from uh, modern times, so I think like 2010, 2012 or so. But um, I've wandered off the trail up there before. And one time I stepped into this little clearing, uh, and then there was a tree there. It looked like a Disney tree. It was the most real-looking tree I've ever seen, and that's the only way I know how to describe it. only seen something like that one other time, and that was behind the Indian burial mound that's at the edge of the parking lot at the Sequoia Museum uh, in Vaughn Orr, Tennessee. But this tree in the Smokies, and it, just, it was so majestic and so, like I said, so hyper-real, and it was, suddenly it was just the most comfortable place I'd ever seen. And I just, I was overcome with this overwhelming sense that, you know, I just need to, to sit here by this tree, maybe lay down and take a nap. This is just the most wonderful, comfortable feeling. And then it was like I'd been hit by electric fence or something, just kind of, a and something's like, you better get out of here is what you better do. And it was like whatever was around that tree or in that area, it's like it was lulling me into this false sense of security, of comfort, of, you know, just lay down, take a rest, you'll be all right. And I wonder if maybe some of the people that have gone missing, if they didn't encounter something similar like that, but fell prey to it. I mean, it's almost, could be a Rip Van Winkle thing. You know, he saw the little men playing 10 pins and joined them and then fell asleep after 
drinking from their jug and woke up 20 years later. But uh, I don't think Smokies should ever wake up at all and might not even be found. There's several people that disappeared there without, I mean, no trace whatsoever. They just literally stepped off the trail sometimes in front of people or walked ahead of a group, gone. I don't know if you're familiar with David Politis, uh, worked a 411 a missing missing 411 series. He found clusters yeah. of that all over the United States and the world. But uh, there's weird, weird stuff in the Smokies. There's legends of little people up there, too, and fairy lights, lanterns that if you're nice and kindly, they'll maybe lead you to where you need to go. If you're not so nice, they'll lead you to where you're even more lost in the woods and then wink out all together, and there you are. There's there's a lot of strange things in, in any mountain range, but there seems to be a, a more pronounced aura of it in the Smokies. I don't know if that's just my Cherokee heritage that it speaks to or because I've spent so much time there, but I've hiked a lot of places on the Appalachian Trail. Never through-hiked it, but I've been on it some in every state that it goes through except for Maine. And there, there's a lot of weird places out there. Well, um, I think that's all we'll have for you tonight. Um, if y'all wouldn't mind, uh, would y'all mind uh, promoting your books real quick, your shows, and your books? And let everybody know where they can find you. Okay, you go first, Cisco. Sure. Um well, my podcast is Journey Through the Gate, Paranormal Portal Podcast, and that comes out uh, usually two a month. You can find it on the YouTube channel of the same name or Libsyn or any podcatcher that's out there, and CastBox and all those, and iTunes. Um, the book is We Are All Children in the Wilderness of the Afterlife, A Guided Tour Through a Haunted Life, and that's mine and Steve's book, and that's available in paperback and Kindle on Amazon. And uh, you can find me on Facebook right there with Steve, and we're <laughs> trying to do it. We're all over the place, aren't we, Steve? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead. And, uh, my books are on Amazon, um, Strange Things in the Woods, More Strange Things in the Woods, and My Strange World, the, the first two being stories that I've collected from friends and family over the course of a lifetime. And the third book is my own stories. And that came about, I would do shows like this, and inevitably the host, or if it was a call-in show, somebody would call in and say, well, how about you? Have you ever had any paranormal experiences? And I'd tell a tale or two here and there. And one day I thought, you know, I've probably got enough to make a, a small book. And it worked out great. So now I've got that book. Um, you can find me on um, Facebook, Steve Stockton, and the number is 8181. Um, I'm also on uh, Twitter. Uh, Strange and Odd is my handle on Twitter. Uh, I have an Instagram presence that's just kind of getting started. And uh, I've got a podcast that will be coming out soon. Uh, my partner in crime and I, Tanya Jones, we were in a lot of things. You can check out our channels on YouTube. Um, mine is 13 Past Midnight, and hers is Unicorps Tales, like a unicorn, but a corpse. Unicorps Tales, we do a lot of stuff together. Uh, usually I'm the, the words and she's the voice, and we kind of switch it up. And uh, my channel is mostly true paranormal stories, a little bit of fiction in there that I've done by request. But uh, I've got, got some more stuff coming up later on. Like I mentioned, the True Crime channel, uh, I'll let you all know when that's ready to go live. And then we're, we're doing a podcast too. But uh, 
be sure to check us out. Love to have you subscribe. Check out some of the, the stories that I have on there. Most of it is me narrating uh, stuff from my books. And that's where... Nope. He dropped out. Oh, did he? His call dropped. Cisco, are you still there? I'm here, honey. Oh, I'd like to thank uh, you guys for having us on tonight. It's been fun. I hope you got a, some good stories, and I hope your listeners enjoyed them. And, you know, if you ever want us to come back, we'll be more than happy to come. We've got ton more stories. So just oh, yeah, if I, I, I love all listeners to something, just always remember, if you look into the woods, sometimes they look back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you all so much for coming on, and uh, we for sure want you all back in the future to tell more stories because I loved all of them. I'm so glad. Lauren, do you have anything? Uh, No, I appreciate you guys coming on. Y'all, you both were great, and uh, we hope to have you both back again soon and hopefully do a solo show with each of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Y'all have a wonderful evening and, and happy, happy holidays to everybody out there. All right. You as well. Thank you. Uh, All right. Good night, everybody. Okay. Good, good night. Good night.